You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. All right, guys, welcome to part two of two in our Magic Fest versus Command Fest. You'll notice that I have not changed shirts in a week because I'm a filthy magic player and I don't bathe, whereas my lovely co-host has. Now, uh, we covered last episode basically the TLDR on how the days go for a Command Fest compared to a Magic Fest. Today's episode is going to be a little bit more Command Fest-centric with a touch of generalized gaming conventions not anime cons but like your origins your die cons your gen cons stuff mm -hmm. like that so let's take it away so we basically got a couple questions that we're going to run down but unlike the first episode where we're just going to bat off the same questions several times in a row these are just unique questions we're going to kind of step through and take a a look at these from a vendor perspective these are what we kind of came up as came up with as some of the milestone noticeables or things to think about and at the end of the last episode i mentioned that we would talk about case theory this week now as far as magic fests are concerned we've waxed poetic on that for a while but because command fests are kind of new and up and coming and they look like they're going to be the hotness that we're going to see moving forward how are your cases stocked for a command fest? Did you guys have a plan going in? Yeah, so this and this is something that I think is also true of your gaming cons. Uh, and basically, when answering these questions, assume it's the same for gaming conventions as command fest, unless I say otherwise. Okay. Basically, EDH, what do you want? You don't need format staples unless it's an EDH card. You know what EDH players absolutely love, though? Foils. So this was literally... You got any Apocalypse foil pernicious deeds that have been sitting around? Bring them. You got any 7th foil disenchants? Bring them. Anything like that. Your masterpieces, your invocations, expeditions, whatever. Uh, one of the things that was kind of unique about it, though, that I think has more become a thing over the last few years and wasn't necessarily always the case uh, is the inclusion of power. And the ultra high end, having a case mm. of not just twisters, which you definitely want to bring to and EDH workshops, events yeah. or general and shops and bazaars, but like even literally just alpha duels. Hmm. Um, and I think what you've kind of seen happen is, you know, power has kind of fallen, not necessarily out of favor, but the novelty of or the desire as a vendor to say, hey, I have this power that I want someone to trade into at buy list. Yeah. Uh, people are starting to realize vendor-wise that, you know what, maybe I want to sit on this power because people are still trading into, like, Alpha Duels, Beta Geddens, Reb, stuff like that that's not necessarily your, you know, $10,000 unlimited minty time twister. But you may have, like, a you know five thousand dollar beta badlands that somebody wants to trade into all right let's bring that because there's a little bit more appeal to that so that was something that i thought was really interesting yeah. in 
was was drastically different than what I'd seen in a pre-COVID era. Yeah, it's interesting to see that like your general power is no longer in vogue at these events. You want to yeah. bring, you want to skip that, hurdle it, and go into as you pointed out an on ultra high end. Yeah, is there or would there be room or desire for? binders like magic fest style binders like dollar two dollar whatever binders so there were still binders and it was similar to you know magic fest here's our foreign our you know lower end foils uh or just like a million promos of you know whatever we have laying around uh and there there was a fair amount of that Uh, and i think that that's something that you know pretty ideally slides into that command fest crowd Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this question go, cuts both ways. Was there anything that was a swing and a miss? Did you forget something, or did you bring something that you, you think you can get away with not bringing? One of the things that I think was a big swing and a miss, and this is something I'll always give Strike Zone props for, is supplies. Uh, they bring a ton of supplies to every show, uh, and it's always great. I went and I bought one of the Omni Hives. Yeah from ultimate guard because uh, they're the only place i've seen one in months and going two three shows a month only place i've seen any of them so i bought them uh, and i think that that's one of the things that i think is very criminally underrepresented at these events uh similarly i always give points to cool stuff because they always have life pads i can't tell you how many times a weekend i get asked do you guys have life pads do you have boogie boards do you have anything to keep track of life i as a vendor at any event, you cannot bring enough life pads. If, if you're not doing it, you should be. It's it's free advertising because you, you brand, brand it. Yeah. And it's something every player needs every Especially single Especially at a Command Fest where you actually have to mark down damage from a unique source, X4 or yes. X3. Um, so no misses then as far as like, oh, this swap, this era of cards we just didn't think would be worthwhile. So we didn't bring enough, bring it at all. Or did, we didn't bring enough. Uh, I think as far as not bringing enough fetch lands, uh, I, I don't think there is such a thing as bringing enough fetch lands. And one one of the reasons for that, particularly at Richmond, is some of the European companies had not been over at all. Yeah. Okay. And this was their first event back, so their buy list numbers were aggressive. Okay. Uh, like fifteen dollars on some of the MH two fetches, okay. which are selling for sixteen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, nothing and, huge then. From a misperspective. Yeah. No, okay. No. So it, it kind of stands to reason that you could apply the same kind of like case theory that we talk about a lot for constructed events, magic fests, and roll yeah. that into command fest. Aside from that yeah. weird kind of hurdle in uh, high end. Yeah. Now, something that we see at magic fests every now and again is people playing alternative formats. So what me what made me think of this was when I was at Omaha and I watched somebody with a picket sign looking for tiny leaders games. That's yeah. the first time I ever heard of the format and that was the most unique way I've seen anybody try and play a format like that. So it's really interesting. Obviously at your command fest you're gonna have CEDH players. And what they've actually done and I give props to this to all the TOs, uh, Channel Fireball was especially good mm-hmm. with this. They would literally have casual 75% CEDH signs on tables. So you knew when you sat down without looking what kind of power level you were generally going to be looking at. Um, Now, obviously, 
it's pretty con you know concentrated on edh as a format the interesting mm -hmm. thing is it events like gen con and origins and stuff like that uh origins thursday day one someone went and sold daca their alpha 40 list uh, because there was supposed to be a huge group of people there. They played a few games and realized the deck they had just made, they didn't want, so they were going to go back to their hmm. old deck. Uh, at Gen Con, Origins, Dicon, stuff like that, there's way more people on the play floor that are literally just Alpha 40, Type X, Australian Highlander, Canadian Highlander, whatever. Yeah. And it's absolutely amazing to see what that does because it's true open play uh, at those spaces right it's open play at those yeah. spaces so you have to account for that uh you have to know going out there hey there's going to be people for this and it's not necessarily that you need to account for like selling the singles for yeah. the format it's that there's going to be an amount of money they are bringing and that we may need to bring if they i sell think out. that's actually yeah super important to remember is that you will have people here that are bringing ridiculous or looking to buy ridiculous and that transaction could happen yeah. at our booth, so yeah, to prep for it. I kind of figured that Command Fest would be limited to just that. It would be Commander up top, yeah. CEDH underneath, and then like maybe Tiny Leaders as kind of a spinoff because it is a very approachable way to play Commander. Or because this was the pre-release event for Baldur's Gate, I don't know if the sealed decks were sold right because there were sealed decks uh, for this so, yeah yeah so they could star city could give them away as prize but per the contract with star city you can't sell in print well, it was for play at the event like oh this is a pre-release oh, so yeah, we're yeah. only going to jam the pre-cons in this kind of thing that's what that's how i imagine command, oh yeah that command festival yeah layer. we we actually did have quite a few people like yeah. that yeah because um, some of the content coming out of that event the Star City Versus series and the MPG Goldfish, they cross-pollinated and they put two in each pod. Uh, and they'll be playing the pre-con. Star City went up uh, a couple of Wednesdays ago. Yeah. I think Goldfish goes up uh, a Friday in the week Yeah, prior or coming. Um, Something yeah. like that, yeah. Okay, so there's nothing just like completely off the wall. And I guess the only, re the only way to expect something like um, not Alpha 40... Because that's a constructed format, but there is the old school commander format. Is it something monocles? Tiny, Tiny monocles. monocles. I could expect that at Vegas. Yeah. Oh but yeah. Not not yeah. in Richmond. That's not. That's kind of like the no. every person's event. Certainly yeah. not. And so, we have the next question. Richmond leading the lead in seemed just a super aggressive. Like it was just nonstop. It was a deluge. You knew that event was coming. You knew who was going personality wise from within star city and their sphere of influence and the content creators that were going to that, the cosplayers, etc. But yeah. it seemed like Vegas fell flat from that perspective. It seemed like Vegas was always in the shadow of Richmond. Was that the case? So, what I generally heard was, yeah, and one of the reasons was regulations regarding gathering of, like, large gatherings. Vegas was capped at 700. Oh, okay. uh, 700 attendees. And it had originally been capped at two vendors, but they opened it up to six total. One of which was Coalesce, so, like, that's just, you know, accessories, mm -hmm. clothes, whatever, so they don't really count. Uh, because it's something we've touched on is, you know, vendor share is yes. huge. So when you cap at 700 attendees, uh, 
All right. Well, we sold our tickets. Uh, we don't really need to do any more marketing besides that because we can't get anybody else in okay. the door. Whereas Richmond was capped at, I believe it was like 25 yeah, uh, and only a thousand tickets yeah. sold. Uh, so there were still more people, but it was also a very different event being a pre-release. And I think that's part of what led to a lot of the interest oh, in okay. it was people have heard about these large regional pre-releases for yeah. years that are new to the game. You know, Shards of Alara was your first in-store pre-release. Prior to that, you had these regional, not necessarily regional, but much larger yeah. events uh, where it was multiple stores pulling together to do the thing, and it was great. Uh, so I think that drew to a lot of the interest okay. in the format and led to a lot of the traffic marketing etc it made sense for them to kick it up yeah. a notch because they had the ability to house that many and more it made sense as to why you saw a lot more personalities a lot more content creators vying for richmond rather than exactly. vegas because it just wasn't yeah. the room something that yeah. we mused about was the possibility of the fact that maybe people were focusing on the calling event at vegas over yeah. The, the magic event, because apparently those were going on at the same time, but that was definitely not the case. However, yeah. dovetailing off of that, and the, the last question uh, in this section that we wanted to, to kind of bring to light was the idea of how an event like Origins markets, you know, just coming off of talking about how Vegas marketing, where they just got to stop because they hit 700, right? Uh, Origins yeah. markets for magic differently than these other events these other events as you mentioned behind the scenes is these are not player acquisition events these are enfranchised yeah. player events people aren't coming out to a command fest they're not coming out to a magic fest to learn to play the game yeah and that's one of the interesting things and that's something that you know for people that were around gen con years ago was legacy champs vintage champs it was a destination for people to go to for established players and wizards kind of moved away from having events there because they recognized hey we're not acquiring new players at this thing uh and we're kind of seeing that come back around because as board gaming as dungeons and dragons as all of these things have become more and more mainstream and now you have a platform like arena which granted is utter garbage but it's accessible so now you're seeing this kind of transition back where you're getting more casual events at like your Gen Cons, at your Origins, where they're not necessarily making it like a huge announcement like, hey, guys, the next Magic event is starting. It's more or less, you know, hey, here's some casual stuff that you can fire up. We've got these cool mystery booster events, which are everywhere. But there were also some sealed events that were like learn to play type events. Yeah. And I think that's something you're going to see more and more going forward at these conventions because Wizards has recognized, hey, you know, we're getting a lot of players through Arena. What if we could also reach out to these people that are going to Gen Con to playtest 20 new board games that they're going to see on Kickstarter to support their favorite artist? Yeah. And we can try to say, hey, look at this cool game we've got. You should try it out. And hope that everyone who plays it doesn't realize from a game design perspective how bad magic the gathering is besides the point uh, but it's now like hey we have this thing and they're getting back to saying we have this thing going on we would like you to try it out 
Whereas for a few years, there was just no mention of magic at all. It was just, hey, there's a beta draft. Yeah. Cool. That's it. See the end. His champs in Philly when Card Titan hosts it. Yeah. Yep. I, exactly. I wonder. Yeah. Oh, good. I oh no, say, you're I good. wonder if that kind of push then extends to conventions that are on the more on the periphery of gaming. So things like PAX, which are still gaming conventions, but less focused on like. When you look at the digital packs, so not packs unplugged, they're obviously more focused yeah. on video games. But in, at least in Pax East, because that's the one I have experience with, I can tell you, a good chunk of that floor is dedicated to uh, magic and a gaming yeah. area. There are large events that are held there. There are beginner events there, but there's not really a lot of marketing done there. The year that I went, there was a panel for Born of the Gods, and we got to see Athreos pre-released. Yeah, but. That really was not marketed, but the PAX Prime, where they put Worlds that one year, was marketed the hell out of because they had like the Hedron stuff outside. There was an escape room yeah. and everything like that where they could begin be a little more aggressive with that style of marketing. Of like, you're all here to celebrate video games. We're gonna have a booth here as an arena. Go play cards. I, I think that's kind of what we're getting towards specifically because we're having our pro tour at DreamHack. And I think now that crossover is going to be a lot easier for Wizards of the Coast to do, to try to bring that in because we have Arena. And look how similar to Hearthstone it is. You guys all love Hearthstone. You think Hearthstone's a great platform. Check out our strictly worse version of it that crashes on your phone every 30 seconds. Isn't that neat? Uh, but no, I, I would not at all be surprised if that's the direction they start going, is trying to cross-market into that digital space and say, hey, if you you know want to leave your house now and then, you can go to your local store and play this yeah. game too, to kind of bridge the gap between the two. Because you know what I never got to do when I used to play competitive Counter-Strike in like 2001 Actually and two. walk two? over to your opponent, punch him in the face? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't teabag my opponent after I killed him. Uh <laughs> But yeah, no, it, and that's a huge, I think, asset that Magic has compared to some of these digital games, as you do have the ability to see your opponent face-to-face. Yeah. -face. And I think that's something that I would expect them to start to lean into a little yeah, bit Yeah, being able to look at those kinds of events on the periphery as player acquisition-style events, and instead of just saying, this is our game, play it or not, it's, hey, this is our game, if you're interested in it, let's teach you how to play it and bring you in as a customer actually acquire you instead of just tell you how good we are yeah. exactly no i i like that idea and i, I kind of miss uh, origins and gen con marketing like that as i mean i've also been enfranchised for so long so that stuff kind of fell away but there there is a charm to it there was a charm yeah. to the iconography on the back of inquest there's um like the road to the pro tour, whatever this marketing copy was, is just a, a hand-drawn image from inside the dash of somebody's car. And there's a bumper sticker that's like, my other car is a Lotus and stuff like that. It's just layered yeah. with magazines and such. And like, that is like interesting and unique onboarding iconography for new players. That obviously was done by Inquest to get people into their stuff. But like, yeah. Watsy's still has to be interested in bringing in players for that for those people to want to bring in eyes to their magazine right so. 
Yep. Here we are. Picks? Let's All do right. it. So, uh, you can go first this time because your card has a lower amount of value. All right. Uh, so, I am taking a cue from my lovely co host here. I picked a green card. Not only did I pick a green card, I picked a green EDH card. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I pick from APC, I believe is the code, Nature's Lore. Why Nature's Lore when it's a common? Well, if you didn't know, it's a $4 common. So, what I expect to happen, because we just saw the set released a few days ago, uh, is if you take a look at the price graphs here for either the Ice Age or let's go 5th edition, okay. You can see where this card kind of starts spiking to around four to five dollars low, with a market generally around like five to six, uh, and then we just sort of peter off a little bit. Well, if it's getting reprinted in a set as a common, uh, you would expect the value to go down, right? Well, as we saw from recent pack math, there is a legitimate claim to be made that some of these commons, because of how they're inserted in set boosters and how they're inserted in collector boosters, which is the vast majority of what's getting open, won't have a huge impact on the price. I expect we'll see this card probably sit at around 2 to $3 for a little bit, and then just gradually tick back up to 4 to 5 Well, what am I basing that on? Look at EDH rec. Of the 600,000 decks on all of EDH rec, this card's in almost 20% of them. That's insane. Yeah. That is absolutely nuts for inclusion of a card. So I don't care, you know, what it looks like price-wise. If this goes down based on that level of inclusion in these lists... It's just going to get more and more valuable. And if you look at the reprints on this, the last reprint we had was, I think, like Dual Decks Anthology. Secret Lair? Secret Lair doesn't count because it was really sweet art. Uh, but that's literally the last one we had besides Mystery yep. Boosters. Well, the Mystery Booster list is, what, like 1,100 cards long? That's not enough to have any sort of impact on the price. Uh, so this is something that I'd honestly, I'd pick up like four or five play sets at two dollars each yeah i'll spend 20 40 bucks on it i'll throw it in a box and i will forget about it for realistically one to two years at that point based on you know the growth of nature's lore from 2020 to 2022 where we go from a dollar low to almost four of course this card's going to double because it does it does something every green player loves ramps you know what casual players love? They love ramping. They love spending a bunch of money for a bunch of cards. And one of the most unique things about Nature's Lore that I love, it says search your library for a forest mm -hmm. card. Not a basic land. Not a basic forest. A forest card. So you can fetch whatever dual land you want to off of this, which is another reason that I think this card is absolutely incredible. Yep. Just like a good, low equity, easy to do, and sit on, let's acquire it, throw it in a box, forget, low cost entry for a good hold. 
Yep, I, I like nature's lore and cards that are similar to it because once people recognize the fact that it does exactly what you said, which is search out a forest card, it becomes much more playable. And if we, every price graph for this card is the exact same at Ikoria. And I think that's exactly when people realize they can search up a Triome. Where it retraces yep. after Theros beyond death. And then it just zooms up after Ikoria because people are like, oh, oh, this gets my trial lands. And now that we've completed the set, yeah, I don't, I don't think this, this card ever, yeah, ever truly comes back because there's until they put it in like modern masters or something. There's no way we're going to see population enough to drain the, the population yeah. desire yeah. for this card. I think yeah. Farseek is the only other two mana ramp card that does yep. this. After that, it's something like Wood Elves, and there's some other. Um, idiosyncratic cards yeah, like three four yeah. you know like sky shroud claims stuff like that but this sitting right at two to get you a green base dual land is yes. huge I, that's the part that i agree just carries this over the line and carries it in perpetuity because they shy away from printing that kind of stuff so it's not like we're going to yeah. see it ever again and your best bet to get this is another supplemental so yep so I'll look. uh i am going for a three mana value card Okay, and it is elemental bond from origins so the enchantment that reads whenever a creature with power three or greater enters the battlefield under your control draw a card um this is a card i've been tracking since december of 2021 card kingdom was buying 87 copies at a dollar 50 there are 106 on tcg at 239 card kingdom um is now buying more than when I started taking my notes, they're buying 180 at the same price, $2.50. And there are 120 on TCG for $2.89. So we're seeing that kind of trend again where it's like, oh, price is going up. Let me shove my copies out the door. As, yeah. Uh, the price continues to just rock it up. So as far as EDH playability is concerned, like this is just really high in utility in green-based yeah. chonky strategies and as well as strategies that make larger tokens or clones so for the format that's basically kind of like where we're stuck right now so there are cards like triumph of ferocity and colossal majesty bred for the hunt that ask that your creatures survive an entire turn cycle and also require them to be the largest in your upkeep to draw one card but elemental bond Garrick's Uprising and like this kind of new generation of cards just check as the creature enters the battlefield and that's what makes this card and its ilk much better than the previous generation of options so this allows you to accrue immediate value and possibly even combo out that turn as opposed to having to wait one turn to draw one card for enchantment and you know three isn't a lot to ask for power on a creature but that number isn't applicable to all green decks None of the cards in this design space do apply to all green-based decks. So that means it's not foundational to the color or even a particular theme, really. But this does play well with an exceedingly large number of themes, quote-unquote. So checking the stats on Rec, it's in 7% of all possible decks that can run it, which is pretty big for a card like this. So the same 600,000 decks that you saw, Nature's Lore is in 20%, Elemental Bond is in 7%. Now, we are going to get more commanders that can trigger this card naturally, like Coma Cosmo Serpent, which makes 3-3 three, three tokens. And yep. 
Vrondris, which is from AFR, which when it takes damage makes 5-3, like Omnath, Locus of Rage, that landfall makes 5-5s. Five fives. We're going to get more token generators that can trigger this. Uh, Finale of Light, Decree of Justice, that enchantment that can hold so many, sorry, the sorcery that can hold so many Sarah Angels if you foretell it from Call Time. We're going to get many more cards for tribal decks like elves or even bugs that are lords that help you increase the power of creatures in general so they don't enter as one ones anymore they are three threes now we're going to keep getting generic creatures that can trigger this we know this that's just how the game works creatures are going to keep getting printed that are going to continue to trigger this as we go so all of this is putting pressure on this card now and into the future. And that's kind of what we're banking on is getting it now for the future. And we can really take solace in, quote, green triggering green because green, unquote. And yeah. the inevitable inevitable growth in utility of this card moving forward. At the end of the day, if you want to break down, like, which is m- more or less foundational to this card, like, tribal and unique cards or the supplemental utility creatures of green you're going to have more time trying to trigger this with supplemental creatures than you are everything else your eternal witnesses your den protectors your secure tribe elders these utility creatures will never trigger this but it's literally everything else in green that can trigger that voltroni stuff on the side or sorry voltroni stuff aside so based on the current price trend and utility after initial arbitrage from tcg player to card kingdom dries i would expect that we will see in six months our ability to turn to profit a turn of profit to buy a list exists um with the outside sorry that's the outside the inside being like three months there's a really good chance that this picks up a lot as people continue to realize like hey this is a playable card and quantity is drying from tcg player yeah yeah no shortage of no shortage of uses for this card and steady demand just going to keep putting pressure on it and as that happens and we see it pop up in more lists more people are going to buy in it's just going to be that kind of feedback loop that we really want to see for stuff like this reprint equity outside of origins we've seen this reprinted in commander 2017 and commander 2019 while standard sets have seen iterative design on something like this so as the space is still explorable, yeah. I would expect to only see this reprinted in commander decks and like on and off, maybe in supplementals into the future because they're just continuing to run with the design. So why would you go back to this when you still have the ability to make something better as an for the same price as an uncommon? Like literally Garux Uprising is the same card, but better. So yeah. reprint equity on this, pretty low. And eventually you'll just want the sweep. That's what it's going to come down to. This will not get pushed out. This will just become one of the suite. Uh, for buy quantity, uh, I played a lot of Origins. I opened a lot of it. So what I have is basically that. Otherwise, I'd be happy to pick up several playsets. I was thinking maybe about a dozen and be happy with it because right now that'd be about 42 to $45, depending on if you bought uh, from one vendor or multiple, and just trade them out in the coming months because you'll start to make a profit on them pretty shortly and trade otherwise i'd just hold and dump to buy a list in that six month period solid i think 
one of the reasons I love this pick especially is because, like you said, quote, green gonna yep. green. I, I think any time you can get a card like this, it is not only just the color behaving in the manner the color behaves in, but is an improvement on previous generations as well. You know, where it's like, all right, well, there were other versions of this card, and this one is just better. And seemingly the best version we have yet, and I don't know how much they could improve um, upon I it. I think it's... I'm trying to find it. Uh, Garruk's Uprising is better because it checks when it enters the battlefield. So I think Garruk's Uprising draws a card immediately, and yeah. it does the same thing otherwise. Yeah, it, oh, it's just a very interesting... It's oh. slightly different. So it, it checks on ETB, but it's four or greater. The trigger ah, is well. four or greater. But all your creatures have okay. trample. So oh, it's yeah, sure. still arguably better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I think anytime you can reward yourself by just doing the thing your yeah. color does Absolutely. is good. Uh, yeah, and, and especially because it hits that casual, we drive the market. Yep. Great. Why would you um, not do that? And much like, like nature's lore, there's a, like, a little hidden interest here in that Elemental Bond and Garruk's Uprising just ask for a creature to ETB. Some of the other options for this require it to not be a token, which also makes mm, it very difficult yeah. to kind of apply broadly to a lot of the strategies for what you're trying to do, because playing that kind of chonky deck isn't difficult in EDH, but generally speaking, that's not really what's going to get you there. An army of 4-4s four and 5-5s five isn't going to get you there, similarly to a bunch of utility creatures, like I mentioned, Ewit. But that event, that adventure of Zendikar is going to kill, is going to win the game. The plants won't trigger this, which is yeah. fine. But your uh, Rurik Thars, because it's still a creature, the elementals off Omnath, any tokens you can make that are buffed, tribal stuff, I mean, you can just run this in a sliver deck and eventually they'll just buff themselves far and beyond the requirement of three. Yep. And I, the application is a lot broader than we're seeing right now based on Wreck. And it's all like, I think Elemental Bond is probably on like this bookend era of Wreck where people remember cards and what they do. And yeah. it's just outside that where I think we're as we are, as we continue to make picks and we're looking at EDH cards and what to look at, I think it's just on the whole, you know, to yeah. On Good. the other side of Origins is where we're going to see a lot of those cards have a lot more popularity for stuff like this. But this is just on the other end of it. Just, yeah, people need a little nudge. They need to see it in person. They need to see somebody talk about it. They need to see content surrounding this, and then it's off to the races. Exactly. So, and that's the important part: getting in early. Uh, anything else for the week? Okay. I'm good. So, uh, for the second half of the Command Fest, the Magic Fest, what are the differences? Episodes. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. If you want to reach us on Twitter, I am at Halt, I am Reptar. You are. At Thirsty Sizzler. See you next week.